not real? Bullshit, you're not real. If not real, then what else? What else can a person be? You pull out your cheek and it stretches, as skin should, a bit more than it should even. Then it snaps back into place, leaving a rosy halo on the surface where your fingers just were. You're real. Of course you are. You're as real as... Through the window of your shipmobile, you look at the twisting, inconsistent world around you. Well, you're as real as your feet and your knees and the bones in your pinky finger. now, a weak, watery sun has already begun to well up at the horizon like a tear. The mayor is long gone. He just turned on his heel and walked into the darkness as a shitty pop song softly scored his exit. He probably had to make it back to his office before the sun rose so he wouldn't be late to another long day of making you miserable. And honestly, you two should get moving too. Don't you agree? Don't you think that we... Hey, are you even listening? What the hell is up with you? Your best friend sits in the passenger seat, stunned and stupid, staring fixedly at the horizon, where the sun has pulled up a little more, still mustering the energy to rise. You read his mind easily because it's not so different from yours. You say to him softly, You're not still worried about what the mayor said. What does he know? You give a dismissive wave here to illustrate your point, and the displaced air makes your friend hover just an inch above his seat and float gently back down like a lone wing plucked off the body of a moth, like something that had no weight at all. Speechless at this new development, you shift to place your hands on the steering wheel, and from your periphery, you watch your best friend drift slightly eastward in response to your movement. How little it took to rob him of so much. A single sentence spoken by the mayor in exchange for your friend's very force? His materiality? You wonder what you would see right now if you could look inside your best friend. Not inside his mind, but under his skin. How his newfound lightness would appear behind an x-ray? If the red and white wiring that was once alive with breath and water was now just rope after rope of desiccated muscle and tissue. Out of politeness, however, you decide not to comment on your best friend's recent weight loss. Instead, you say, Come on, let's get going. And, uh, how about you fasten your seatbelt this time? It is a long, featureless journey home, lacking so much as a traffic light or a stop sign or a field of grazing cows at which your traveling companion might redundantly exclaim, look, cows. You may as well have been sitting with your car parked and the forestry on either side of you painted onto a screen and then rolled in front of your windows on an endless loop. The thought of that gives you a sort of non-motion sickness. 
So you shift your focus away from the road and towards your two red lacquered thumbs hooked around the steering wheel. How perfectly they glint as they catch the light. How reliably they flash every time you angle them towards the sun. The way that color and light performs on that tiny stage of your fingernail. Now that's something that's right. And real. Something that is subject to some kind of internal consistency. You have given yourself almost entirely to the study of those tiny flecks of glitter trapped in your nails until you hear your best friend's voice for the first time since your encounter with the mayor. He says, crash it. Without hesitation, you snap the steering wheel like the neck of a baby bird and send the both of you careening into the forest. Your bodies trigger action and then feel the equal opposite reaction. The arms of young trees crackle under your tires until your momentum flags and your car surrenders itself at the base of a large boulder. The impact is just enough to throw your bodies towards the windshield, but your seatbelts contain you just in time. The jolt that you feel, the one that you caused, fills you with a heady delight. Your best friend grips the door handle. Not for fear of floating away again, but to contain his giddiness. His face is flushed. Already, some life has returned to him. And you get the sense that he now sits slightly heavier in his seat beside you. You survey your own reflection in the spiderwebbed side mirror, and notice that your hair has come loose and now falls around your face in clumps. You shake your head, hoping to dislodge them into individual strands, But your spinal column alone would not be enough to provide the kinetic energy needed to make your hair look as hair should. So you throw your car into reverse and then into drive, at the exact same time as your best friend whispers, Okay. And so, as though it were a group effort, you floor the gas again, this time pushing down the pedal with the strength of two maniacs. You propel yourself deeper into the forest, Your brains knock into your skulls, and your skulls knock into each other, and your bodies knock around the car, and your car knocks into a thick oak tree. The bumper connects cleanly with the wood, and the shattered glass rains around you like confetti. Your best friend has lost some of his teeth, and his howls of laughter are now punctuated with short whistles. As for the state of your appearance, you grip your wheel in anger, as an increasingly shattered mirror shows an unsatisfying result. Your hair looks all fucking wrong. So again and again, you crash the car from every thinkable angle, and with every non-accidental accident, you find yourself sinking deeper into your despair. You feel as though you are trying to strike a nail with a mallet, but instead end up hitting your own fingernails every time. How could your hair, which is real, fail to act as real hair does? Oblivious to your distress, your best friend is growing increasingly dizzy with delight, like a toddler losing control at every subsequent iteration of the word peekaboo, toppling over his own fat body, consumed from the inside out by his own laughter. Each of your best friend's honking guffaws is met by one of your grasping, shallow breaths. With each crash, the space you share in the car grows smaller and more rife with smoke, which the two of you cycle between the four of your wheezing lungs. Nearly vacuum-sealed inside your powder-blue shipmobile, the two of you are invincible deities of violence and vanity. 
Sometimes totaling your car is exactly the therapeutic release you need to be able to face the horrors of real life again. Of course, your best friend did have to grab a handful of your shirt sleeve on the way back to your apartment so that he wouldn't drift away like a half-deflated helium balloon. And you did have to cover all the reflective surfaces in your home with blankets and pillowcases so that one rogue glimpse of a hair or tooth or eyeball out of place wouldn't send you into a blinding rage. But other than that, you feel refreshed, renewed, ever since you left a pile of powder blue scrap metal in the middle of some unnamed road. Now, your best friend paces around your apartment in a manner that is surely meant to look deep and contemplative, but due to the uncontrollable lightness in his step, he looks more like a schoolgirl skipping about on the balls of his feet. Moving up and down the modest space, he traces a path strategically around your furniture, careful not to disturb any of the items covered by white linen bedclothes. Not the vase decorated with geometric shards of mirror, nor the toaster with reflective metal siding. Under their shrouds, the objects look like a family of ghosts populating your apartment, ranging from tall and thin to short and squat. After several more rounds of his juxtaposed prancing while deep in thought, your best friend comes to a stop at the telephone mounted on your wall and removes the pillowcase you draped over it, unmasking the little ghost and rendering your home slightly less haunted. He gestures to the dull beige plastic and says to you, This one isn't even reflective. You shrug in response. You've just never used it. No one to call. Of course there's someone to call, he says. He picks up the handset and motions at you to come over. You put the receiver to your ear and hear nothing. Not even a dial tone. Wait, no. And then you hear the voice of the mayor himself. Only briefly, though. He's saying something about taking a lunch break? Your best friend breaks your concentration by tapping your shoulder and pointing to the set of holes in the handset. You know, the ones you're meant to speak into? Then he uses two fingers to point to his eyes. Huh? You raise your eyes to the microphone, feeling like a chimpanzee with no concept of telecommunications who has been given free reign to examine some form of foreign technology for the entertainment of human adults. But then you let your eyes adjust, and you see, as though through a keyhole, another world. A world full of people you have never seen before, all speaking to, laughing with, and bumping into one another squinting through a sprinkling of small apertures. You cannot make out specific faces or follow the thread of any one of the conversations happening in the room. You cannot fully join the world inside the phone. You are observing it from afar, from a desk barricaded by three gray walls. A pair of hands enters your view, collating a set of papers on the desk in front of you, then stapling them together. They belong unmistakably, to the mayor. This is where he works? In this mattress fort? 
You think he'd at least get an office to himself, given the gravity of his mayoral duties. And who are these other people? Do they work for him? Is there an entire team behind building this prison of a city? Your best friend interrupts your train of thought. Just wait until he's with other people. That's when you can really have some fun. Huh? You respond. You've seen these people before? Yeah, all the time, says your best friend. That's all the phones are good for around here. You take a moment to consider your best friend, who looks like a child with his missing teeth and his springy gait, yet knows this pivotal thing that you do not know. You wonder what you would have found had you inspected his files at the bank a little more closely. Then you dismiss this thought and lift the headset back up to your eye. At this point, the mayor has moved to another room, presumably to take his lunch break. In front of you is a sandwich and a pair of hands that picks at it silently. Across the table, where you occasionally glance surreptitiously through the eyes of the mayor, is a woman quietly sawing at a piece of salmon. Now here is an opportunity to have some fun. You cover the receiver with one hand and ask your best friend, what's the name of the lady? You know, bitch with the wonky teeth. To illustrate your point, you draw back your lips and imitate as best as you can her grotesque rabbit teeth. Oh, that's Sandra, says your best friend. You mouth the name, practicing. Sandra. Sandra, who did not exist in your world until this very moment, who appeared to you so suddenly as a fully formed person with a life, a story, and an intense need for braces. Sandra, who you would now use as a battering ram into the mayor's psyche. You stop squinting into the phone and now speak into it instead. <clears throat> you know why Sandra isn't even trying to make conversation with you right now? You say, not bothering to introduce yourself to the mayor. Well, it's because she doesn't like you very much at all. And in fact, you look down at your best friend who has picked up on your plan and is now excitedly making a stabbing motion with his hands. I have it on good authority that she is plotting to kill you. Normally, you wouldn't expect the mayor to fall for such a cheap trick, but you've attacked him from an angle that he's ill-prepared to defend, from right behind his two eyes. The mayor's eyes, which have, until this point, been rapidly darting around the room, suddenly anchor themselves to Sandra's hands. Even without your ear to the headset, you can hear his ragged breathing. Getting to this point was so easy that it almost wasn't fun. But still, you're too much of a professional to leave a job half-finished. Besides, it's been so long since you've been able to catch the mayor off guard like this. Last time you scared him this much was when you learned that you could climb through the sewer systems to look directly into his home. The mayor responded by filling every last pipe and manhole with cement, and you haven't had running water since. It's the sort of thing that makes you question why they give this guy full control of public funds. Taking advantage of the opportunity you've got now, you continue speaking into the phone with renewed enthusiasm. She's been conspiring against you for a while, but you knew that already. Haven't you noticed how long she's been cutting her salmon with that table knife? Of course she isn't planning on eating. She's waiting for you to slip up, to let down your guard, so she can take the knife and plunge it into... 
you flounder for a moment, having neglected to think about exactly what kind of violence one could realistically wreak with a dull knife. Your best friend gleefully points to his right eye. Directly into your eye socket, you finish into the phone. Your best friend clasps both hands over his mouth, and the force of his contained laugh propels his body, sending him flying backwards as though shoved by an invisible pair of hands. With your work done, you now take pleasure in watching the aftermath through the phone headset. The mayor cowers in his chair like cornered prey. His uninterested predator, probably busy thinking about how she should have prepared a side of rice to go with her fish or worrying about how she'll ever find someone to love her and her fucked up buck teeth, remains unaware of the man undergoing full body tremors not four feet away from her. She sets down her utensils for a moment to dab out the corners of her mouth with a napkin, and the mayor takes this opportunity to escape his murderous fate, stumbling out of the room in a rush and sending his chair clattering behind him. Sandra, polite as ever, pretends not to notice what she likely assumes is a restroom-related emergency. Well, it's not exactly what you were looking for, but it's a start. You were hoping the mayor would at least... Interrupt the silence between himself and his confused colleague by muttering something like, Stay the hell away from me. You know, freak her out just a bit and cause her to avoid ever being in a room alone with him again. Best case scenario, he would have stood on his chair and threatened to kill her first. Then he would have had to go home early and he'd spend the rest of the day chasing you and your best friend around, cursing your existence and telling you to just shut the hell up and let him live a normal life. You know, just some quality time between the three of you. Is that so much to ask for? Thinking about the possibilities contained by the world within the telephone has you buzzing until late into the afternoon. You cannot believe your best friend didn't tell you about it earlier. Like a love-struck little girl, you can hardly contain the urge to call the mayor again, and give in at around supper time. You pick up the phone and immediately forget any semblance of a plan you may have had in order to dedicate all your energy to fending off a fit of giggles. Your best friend swoops in and takes control of the call, with the admittedly juvenile approach of pounding his fist rhythmically on the wall and chanting, Stab yourself! Stab yourself! Stab yourself! as the mayor prepares himself a salad. What happens next is this. The mayor abandons the project of making himself dinner and pushes the cutting board to the side. In his hands, he takes a knife and holds it up to eye level, where you can see it. You hold your breath. Your best friend holds his breath. The mayor, you imagine, holds his breath. You wish you could see his eyes from the other side, so you could read his intention. Is he teasing you? Contemplating? Is he? Is he about to fucking do it? Like a piece of mail waiting to be delivered, your stomach drops down a bottomless hole. Then, you see the knife flying. Past the metal toaster, past the glass mosaic vase, through the open door, and over a balcony situated a reasonable distance off the ground, judging by the loud clatter you hear a split second later. Seemingly unconcerned with the lawsuits that could arise from such rash disposal of sharp objects, the mayor returns to his cutting board. This time, without anything to cut with, he rips the heads of lettuce apart with his bare hands and plunges his thumbs into the soft spots on tomatoes to tear them open. The haphazard result he then proceeds to consume with a spoon while pretending that he is completely alone. 
you feel, above all else, deeply and horribly insulted. You spend every waking moment of your day trying to kill the mayor. How dare he ignore your attempts to do it? You feel the anger rising in your body like mercury in a thermometer. The heat reaches all the way to your face and you screech into the telephone. The mayor jumps and so does every piece of furniture in your living room before settling neatly into its place again, like your anger was nothing more than temporary airplane turbulence. Now even more frustrated, you take your hair into your fist and begin to pull. But like magician scarves, each clump yanked from its follicle brings with it another, until your frustration leaves you with hair that hangs down to the floor. Now, everyone is silent. Quietly sulking under the copper-red curtain of your own hair, you feel like a child who has been chastised. Which is not an unfair evaluation of the situation, given the fact that you've just conducted a prank call, followed by a massive temper tantrum. But it's all just so unfair. Why can't the mayor understand that, other than wanting him dead, you really do mean him no harm? Honestly. You didn't even want him to kill himself back there. For real, if he killed himself, what would even be left for you to do? More than for yourself, though, you feel bad for your best friend, who is lying on the rug. Well, two inches above the rug, technically. And staring at the ceiling. In a single day, he had both the teeth and the gravity knocked right out of him. Ever since the mayor confronted you two on the road, your best friend has, like a rubber ball, lost momentum and come back weaker, lesser, after every failure. Before going to bed, you cover his hovering body with a thin white blanket. You then take a pair of scissors and cut a floor-length lock of hair from the root. Grateful that you can't see your reflection in the mirror, you tie one end to the leg of a table and the other to your best friend's ankle. You know, just to make sure he'll still be here when you wake up in the morning. This has been episode two of Let's Kill the Mayor.